everybody. Good to see you. What happened to sunny California? I shouldn't complain. I looked at the weather channel for Milwaukee. It's uh, like 40 degrees and rain, uh, possibly sleet tomorrow. So uh, I should be grateful, right? Yes. Yeah. Amen. Uh, been here a number of times in the past. It's been a few years. Uh, Reese and Mary Kay are dear friends of ours. And we've known each other for decades, uh, but have never really been all that close to each other until the last 12 years when we moved to Milwaukee, uh, the first time we moved. That's another story and another lesson, but uh, uh, recently Mary Kay asked Lori and myself to be a part of the Baltic missions, and uh, so my wife and I oversee that part. And uh, I just want you to know what I think they're great people. I don't know what you think. Uh, I hopefully you feel the same way. But they are uh, the real deal. They're genuine and uh, just super great people, friends of ours. And uh, it's, Reese, just so you know, I've shared this personally, but I want everybody to know these last 12 years being connected with you guys have been some of the greatest times of our lives. So. Reese and Mary Kay, a little golf clap. So we, uh, uh, just uh, two weeks ago, we were in the Baltics, and the lady that you uh, heard share her testimony from Riga, I know her personally, and she's a wonderful lady. Her daughter has been a longtime member of the church there, uh, one of the original converts of the church planning. And what you might not know is that there's another six women just like her that are mothers of members of the church, and uh, they've all become Christians in the last several years. And so it's even in uh, their later stages of life to see the humility and what the gospel can do if they will let it in, and for all of us, uh, it, it's a pretty amazing thing, so... Okay, I'm uh, kind of new to the PowerPoint world. I, 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 I mess around with it. I'm trying to be relevant these days. I'm, I told the brother working this, the table, I'm an old dog that learned a couple new tricks. So uh, anyway, go ahead. There it is. Something's Missing is the title here. Uh, now, I know I'm in California, but I want to assure you these are all organic, free-range hot dogs. Uh, they're not caged in any way, uh, all natural, and uh, <laughs> how many of you have ever had a real Chicago hot dog from Chicago? All right, so you're going to identify with what I'm talking about. Uh, we, uh, I, I don't, my wife won't let me eat many of these anymore. I'm, I'm trying to watch it a little bit. But this is one of the greatest foods in the entire universe. It's, it's like all your food groups in one little bite. It's so, uh, I got spoiled because I had Chicago hot dogs. And I've lived in a number of different cities, and I've been in a number of different countries from time to time. And I, I looked for these, and they look just like that, but when you bite into it, there's just something missing. There's something off. Like it's got the free-range hot dogs, and it's got the organic vegetables, and uh, the whole wheat bread 
baked by monks in the mountains and all that kind of stuff. But when you bite into it, it's good, but there's something off. So I'm going to give you the secret to a Chicago hot dog with this next slide. Are you ready? If you remember this, you could literally make millions of dollars. Open up your own franchises. So here's the secret. It's celery salt. Tom McCurry, did you know that? Tom's a Chicago guy. It's celery salt. It's just that little sprinkle that changes the whole experience of having a Chicago hot dog. So now you know the secret. Isn't that awesome? That's about all I wanted to say, and it's been great being with you. No. I'll share a little bit more. Go ahead, bro. Next one. We've uh, had the opportunity to be in a lot of different places at a lot of different times. Uh, Lori and I have led a number of churches over the years. Uh, we went into the ministry in 1983 and have served in a lot of different places. Most of our time has been circulating around the Midwest and then uh, the Baltic experiences and things like that. And I think, uh, you know, our churches are all very similar. It'd be amazing that you go to a, a church service in Riga or in Stockholm, there would be similar vibes. Of course, the languages would be different, the songs would be different, but the fellowship and the people are pretty much all the same no matter where you go. It doesn't really matter. It's awesome, isn't it? And uh, yet as I've traveled over the last number of years, and even in the churches that we've been a part of, I felt just like that hot dog, there was something missing, I think maybe there's something missing in some of our churches as well. I, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just trying to share with you observations that I've had over the years. Uh, I don't know you guys all that well. Some of you I do. I know a lot about Tom McCurry. If you want to know, let me know later. But uh, I, I think there's, there's something missing here too. Brother, next slide. Get off that phone. Colossians 1. Let's turn there a minute. It's Paul's writing to the church in Colossae. In verse 13 he says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I personally believe this is at the heart of what's missing in maybe some of our own personal lives, but in some of our churches as well. Uh, I think two, two ways I see this. One is some of the younger people that have become Christians, which is fantastic, a whole front row. Did they make you sit in the front, or do you want to be there? You want to be there. Okay. All right. Uh, we've had uh, kind of a resurgence in our youth and family ministry. We've had a bunch of teens baptized in the last year and a half, and uh, college students and things like that. Uh, which is fantastic, but I, I fear that maybe some of the younger people as they grow up in the church and they're around us that have been here for a while, they don't really see this awe of the kingdom the way that we saw it. And for many of us that have walked with Christ for a good long time, we had this awe of the kingdom at one time, but perhaps it's faded a little bit, and there's a lot of reasons for that discouragement, disappointment, dysfunction, 
Uh, those are the three D's that I could come up with off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, if that wears off, something goes wrong with our personal lives. This passage says that God rescued us. It's not like he stumbled across us. He actively went after each and every one of us. He did that in our own personal lives. I love the testimony the brothers shared about wandering away and coming back and God working on him, but the sister's text. And this is all how God works. He, he rescues us because we're in the dominion or the realm of darkness. One of the most beautiful places in the world is Southern California, right? Well, maybe for some here, but maybe not for others. Uh, and, you know, your weather, uh, you've got the ocean, the mountains, and everything else in between. Milwaukee, if you've never been there, is an unbelievably beautiful place. It's right on Lake Michigan. Uh, Lake Michigan is 90 miles wide, about 350 miles long. It's like an inland ocean, literally. And uh, it's just beautiful there. We do have this stuff called snow, which I think you're allergic to or something. But uh, all this stuff that surrounds us, even homes and possessions and cool things to do, it's really all a facade because that is all darkness out there. As cool as it is, and God gives us, so the Bible says, all these things for our enjoyment, it's not wrong to appreciate it, but it does mask the darkness that is all around us and that we live in. You may have hit rock bottom in your life and that's what caused you to be open and start looking into the scriptures, or maybe everything in your life was going well, so you thought, but then when you looked at the scriptures, you realized, oh my goodness, I am lost. I'm in the darkness. And then, not only does God rescue us, but he brings us into, or literally transfers us, into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And that's where we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. It's amazing, isn't it? I grew up a little bit religious, just enough to be dangerous. Uh, my mom was a Sunday school teacher. I was an assistant Sunday school teacher with her. I thought that meant I was saved right there. If you assist in Sunday school, could you not be saved? I, I, well, yes, yes, you could not be saved. But uh, And so I grew up with this kind of religious life, but as I look back as a disciple now, I think about our involvement in the two churches that I remember distinctly, and I never remember one time anybody from that church coming over to our home for a meal or fellowship or even just hanging out. And I never remember our family going to another family's home that was a part of that church. To me, that's so obvious that something is wrong with that whole thing. So when I, in Lori and I, in 1982, walked into the Sunrise Church of Christ building in Tampa, Florida, I was blown away because I saw something that first Sunday that I'd never seen before, and we've been coming back every, every Sunday since then, just so you know. I missed a couple because I was sick, uh, but otherwise I have a pretty good attendance record, you know. But I walked in there, and from the speaking 
and especially the fellowship. Actually, the fellowship impacted us more than the lessons and the singing and all that kind of stuff. I knew that we had stumbled across something, and then as people started to study the Bible with us, I figured out what it was. God was in the process of rescuing us, a young married couple, bringing us into his kingdom so that we could have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So if we lose that as we go through this life, and there's a lot of challenges, right? There's ups and downs, joys and disappointments. If you read the Bible, that happens to Christians all the time. Uh, but if we lose the awe of the kingdom, then we can look like a great church, and we are a great church. We can look like great people, and we are great people. And we can sing amazing songs like we sang this morning. But when we walk away and we go back to our homes and we go on with the rest of our week, we realize something's a little off here in my life and maybe in my fellowship. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Before you yawn, because you've read this passage so many times, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about what was going on before it. This is like right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, kind of his introductory lesson to the entire universe. And uh, it says in verse 33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He talks about the kingdom, even prior to that. Remember when he started his public ministry, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then shortly after that, when this Sermon of the Mount starts to take place, and these thousands of people are gathered, he now says, Seek first this kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things that are addressed earlier will be given to you as well. And so this is, these are the, the Greek words and a rough translation of what these words mean. Seek is not just to kind of casually look for. It's something that really describes a deep-seated character within us to pursue and find and look for God himself, to look for the meaning of life. So many of the scriptures and so many of the teachings of Jesus are actually kind of cloaked. You never really get it unless God sees that you have a heart that wants to find him. And then the doors are open, the blinders are taken off, and you actually find what you're looking for. But God wants us to work for it a little bit and to have a desire to see something better in our lives. First in time, place, and importance. This is a priority in our lives. It's not seek first when it was convenient. I love that little video about loving people, not just when things are nice, but all the time, even loving our enemies. What an upward call for all of us. But first, this should be what drives our lives, what we are putting as the greatest priority in all of our lives. His is the word theos, where we get the word theology. We're seeking not a church, not a fellowship, but we're seeking him. We're seeking God, 
His divinity and His supremacy, His majesty. This is what fills us up. There's tons of great churches. There's some even more inspiring than what you're experiencing today. You don't know how to handle that, do you? Like, do I agree? What if, what if, I, what if I say amen and then Reese knows that it's me that said amen? But, hey, you know, you're not going to compete with the rest of the world. Uh, singing and talent and music and preachers and all the all the glitter that's out there, it, those things will all disappoint at some point. But if we're seeking God himself, his divinity, his majesty, then all this other stuff is not quite as significant as I think many in the world place upon it. His kingdom, his rule, or his realm, which is really all around us. And in one way, it's invisible what we're a part of. We're seeking his kingdom. There is this theme in the Bible, the clash between good and evil, God and the enemies of God, and so many other things. And yet, we're seeking God's kingdom, which he's allowed us to be a part of, and his righteousness. And I love the explanation of this, equity of character. So, as we pursue God, we're trying to take on His character and become like Him, not become like whatever the norm is in the church that we're a part of, but really we adopt a, 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 an attitude, a pursuit within us that we want to become like God Himself. Amen? Let's back up a little bit earlier in chapter 6. And as Jesus was asked, to teach the people how to pray. He says in verse 9, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the very first things he teaches about prayer is that it's about God and his majesty and about his kingdom, and more importantly, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. When we all decided to be disciples, we actually fulfilled part of God's will right here. The process that he put in place, the people that he put around us, the circumstances that went into us having open hearts, he, he did all that, he orchestrated that, so his will could be accomplished here on this earth. It's already being accomplished in heaven, but what about our personal lives? Is God's will also being carried out in our personal life? As you read through this, you find this clash between materialism, possessions, needs being met, and so often these are the things that distract us from putting the kingdom first. Let's look at just a couple of these things. In verse 19, don't store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Money is a driving factor in all of our lives, and it's not necessarily bad. Uh, you've got to eat, and you've got to 
take care of yourself. You've got to have a place to live. Uh, there's just necessities of life that can only be achieved by having access to money, but God is the one that provides that ability to even earn money for us. And so he says, don't get all caught up in the treasures of this world, but make sure that as we pursue our own personal advancement in this world, we're making sure to pursue his wishes as well. Connected to that, I believe, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. The light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? Let's face it. A lot of what gets into our heart comes through our eyes and through our ears, does it not? In fact, that's the only way it gets into our heart. It's stuff we hear, it's stuff we see, it's stuff we think about. People make billions of dollars learning how to market effectively. There's stuff that I see on TV that I really don't have any interest in, but by the time I'm done watching the commercial, I think, I kind of need that. Uh, Lori uh, dropped her phone in a certain part of the restroom one time, uh, and, uh, you know, it was a newer phone, one of those iPhone things, and uh, we had the phone insurance on it, so she went down to the local uh, Apple store and said, hey, uh, this got wet. She didn't go into all the details, and uh, they gave her a brand new phone, and it only cost 15 bucks. That was it, 15 bucks, because we had the insurance, and it was like two generations newer than the one that she had prior to that. So we bought ours at the same time, and she comes home with a new iPhone, and I, I really don't even know how to use these all that well. I think I use maybe 10% of what this actually can do. But when I saw her with her new iPhone, I, I thought maybe I should toss mine. And... Uh, then I thought, oh, that's kind of deceitful, so I probably shouldn't do that. But you know what it is? You just see stuff. And if you look at it too much, you're going to want a whole bunch of it. And so don't let your eyes go down that path and guard your heart and all that kind of stuff because it muddles up what is first importance in our lives. And then if that wasn't specific enough, Jesus says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It cannot be done. You have to have money, but you can't serve money. You know what I'm saying? If you don't, you need to think about it. All right. Now, here's the real issue, I believe. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And he goes on from that, he says at the end of verse 30, O you of little faith, so do not worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear, for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then, he says, seek first his kingdom. I'm looking around the room, and I'm thinking 
there's not a one of us in this room that worries about food or clothing. Right? Yeah, we just don't worry about that stuff. We live in a part of the world where it's not an issue. Maybe from time to time we've had expenses, unexpected ones, and we're in a tight spot and we got to break out the old ramen noodles instead of the, uh, you know, the, the steaks on the grill. But none of us are starving in this room. And none of us are walking around in rags, tattered or naked. We don't worry about these things. But don't think that this passage doesn't apply to us then because you don't worry about those things. Think about the principle that Jesus is teaching here. Don't worry about this stuff. As we get more wrapped up into it, it really talks about, at the end of verse 30, O you of little faith. When we start to take control and feel like God's not taking care of us, it is a demonstration, an active demonstration of our lack of faith in Him. And he says, don't worry about it. This, uh, this word or this phrase is literally translated, do not be distracted by the thought of your life. Think about that for a minute. That's what this is saying. Forget about the clothes and the food, but what distracts you from seeking the kingdom first? Don't get distracted by all this peripheral stuff. I think it's a challenge, probably the greatest challenge in all of our lives, to put God's kingdom first, to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and to really believe that God is going to provide for us as He sees best, which is always the riff, right? I think God should provide for me in this way, but God knows how He should provide. And it is a statement of faith that we're going to trust Him. I want you to think about three areas as I wrap this up. God wants us, I believe, to have a kingdom-centered life. There's all kinds of stuff we've got to do. You've got a job, you've got an education, you've got bills, you've got all kinds of stuff, but at the center of it all should be the kingdom of God. I think these are valid questions to ask ourselves. This is not an exhaustive list, but think about family for a minute. Uh, you have a small family, a large family, doesn't matter the size of your family. In reality, it doesn't even matter if you're married or single, uh, or have kids or not have kids. We had an exciting development in our family three and a half months ago. We had our first grandson, and uh, I should have brought a picture, but because he, he is, like all grandchildren, the cutest baby in the world, right? <laughs> uh, and so now my daughter and her son-in-law that are part of the Orlando Church in Florida, uh, they've got to think about their family now as this little guy gets bigger. Think when they're young, we get too obsessed with making sure every single little thing is done for them. Of course, they need the changings and the bottles that kind of stuff. I think as parents, we can get overly obsessed with bedtime. I can tell you, our kids were raised in the church, and they became Christians, 
and we had them out late at night for midweek and other times, and an hour extra sleep deprivation of a child is not going to distort them or warp them in any way. But yet, I see even in our church, some of the families not coming to midweek because they're overly obsessed with the kids getting to bed at a certain time. Do you believe that they could lose an extra hour of sleep and God still provide for them as children? I think as they get older, now we become overly obsessed with letting them have all the experiences that the world has to offer. Uh, music and science and uh, sports and, you know, whatever else. That's fine. I think uh, let all the kids have all the experiences that they possibly can work in. But if at some point you realize this is pulling you away from the kingdom of God, then you've got to make a decision. What really comes first? Uh, I hate to break this to any of you, and maybe this is a lack of faith on my part, but you're probably not going to make it in the NFL or the NBA. Odds are, uh, you, you're probably not going to be famous musicians. Maybe you will. But the percentages of that actually happening are against you. I don't want that to kill any of your dreams. And now these guys are saying, don't ever invite that guy back again. <laughs> Careers. I think... God wants you to be unbelievably successful at whatever you decide is your occupation and your career. Uh, I think he wants you to pursue even improving your, your place in life. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But then at some point, you are also going to have to analyze if my pursuit of success and my advancement in career, is this pulling me away from the kingdom of God? Uh, I've had a talk uh, at various times over the years with brothers that take jobs and they say there's no travel involved and then all of a sudden they're out of town. Uh, don't fall for that lie from a potential employer. Uh, travel is travel and that's fine, but if at the end of the day or the week you see this pulling you farther away from God and your family, you've got to decide what's most important. And then free time which is really everything. You don't have to be here today. It's your free time. But because you're disciples, you chose to put the kingdom first, and you came to church today. Amen? You glad you did? So far. All right, yeah. We have a, a lady. We call her Miss Dorothy. She's 92 years old. And... You're going to be humbled when you hear this next part. She's in two bowling leagues. It's unbelievable. We have, uh, we typically at the end of the year, we have a house church leaders party and we go bowling. And so we invited Miss Dorothy last year to come to our honorary, she was an honorary house church leader and she came to our, our bowling party. But I noticed, uh, this was about a year ago, I noticed that Miss Dorothy was not at midweeks. And uh, I started to get concerned because she's 92. And, I mean, do the math. 
there's only so much after 92 that you could expect, right? And so I thought maybe it was health, and I said, Miss Dorothy, I, I haven't seen you at midweek. Are, are you okay? Are you Because she drives and everything. And she, she, yeah, yeah, what? Don't drive in Milwaukee. <laughs> so she kind of hangs her head and she says, well, my, my bowling league slips to Wednesday night. And uh, I went, oh. And that's all I said. And then next Wednesday, she was there. She got out of that league and joined another league. <laughs> it was awesome. But what about you? I, I think free time is free time. I enjoy woodworking. I love being in the outdoors. And I got a couple other things that I like to do. But the kingdom is first. And you, enjoy life. Do whatever you want. Get involved in things as long as they're legal and moral. Uh, but if your pursuit of these things gobbles up all your free time where now the kingdom is being set to the side, then you've got to say, am I putting the kingdom of God first? If we so schedule our lives that we don't have time, to open up the Bible with people that are seeking God, if we don't have time to get with somebody that's struggling to encourage them or for us to get encouraged, then I'd say we've missed the point. So I just want to leave you with this simple thought. Are you still in awe of the kingdom of God? I think if you will fall back in love with God and his kingdom, then the Chicago hot dog is going to taste like a real Chicago hot dog. That's all I've got for you. Amen.